ButcherBox makes it easy and convenient to get the highest quality grass-fed, grass-finished beef, organic free-range chicken, heritage breed pork, and wild-caught seafood without any antibiotics or added hormones delivered straight to your door. For me, I love their ribeye steak with a smoke and reverse sear, their tender belly bacon, which is some of the best uncured bacon on planet Earth. ButcherBox partners with people, small farmers included, that treat their animals in the best possible way and never give any added antibiotics or hormones. When you join, you choose your box and delivery frequency. You can cancel at any time without any penalty, and ButcherBox delivers amazing and fresh meat right to your door in a 100% recyclable box. For a limited time only, get free chicken nuggets for a year and 10% off your first box when you sign up today and use the code WP. That's a 22-ounce bag of gluten-free organic chicken nuggets in every order for a year when you sign up at butcherbox.com forward slash WP and use the code WP. Welcome to Western Contours Podcast, sharing experiences, providing insight, and looking for solutions to become better hunters. We talk gear, on and off season preparation, tips and tactics, conservation, and finding inspiration in the outdoors as sportsmen and women. Thank you for joining us as we share our love for all things Western hunting. Hey guys, thanks for joining Western Contours as we bring you Elk Holland Academy's Feature Friday. This week, Michael talks about pulling the herd bull from his cows. Enjoy the episode. Hey everybody, my name is Michael Batiste with the Elk Calling Academy, and this is Wapiti Wednesday Q&A. If this is your first time tuning in tonight, welcome. We're glad you're here. The way Wapiti Wednesday typically works is we typically start with a topic, a subject. So tonight, the first question or topic is how to pull a herd bull away from his cows during early season. Now, it doesn't matter if you're joining us from Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube. The cool thing about Wapiti Wednesday Q&A is you can type your questions, comments, or concerns in as we're rolling along, and we will do our best to get to those while we're on the live feed. So also, if this is your first time or you've been here a few times and you're enjoying the content, make sure that you like follow or subscribe depending on whichever platform you're joining us from so all right here we go uh christian epps i have a rut tag in arizona and i have no clue how to call i'm stressing where should i start let's table that one we will get into that let me take care of this other one first so got to appease the crowds right so okay so jay collie asked what is the best way to get a herd bull away from his cows in early season so it, it, it really kind of goes with everything else that we do throughout the year and that we've talked about throughout the season. So those bulls are rounding up the, or, or the cows for breeding. So the best way to really work a herd bull is, remember we've talked about the breeding sequence before, it attracts breeding age bulls. So why not do that breeding sequence? Basically what's gonna happen that herd bull is going to recognize the sounds that you're doing. He's going to recognize the story that you're telling, the picture that you're painting over there. And basically, he's going to go, hmm, that bull over there has a hot cow. He's going to loop through his cows real quick and all of a sudden find, well, I don't have a hot cow. But he does. So it's almost like that bull sitting there going, wait a minute, that dude over there has ice cream. I don't have any ice cream. I want some ice cream. So that's the mentality that he kind of has. I don't have a hot cow. He has a hot cow. I want to breed that hot cow. So he's going to venture away from his cows and come over to you. Now, obviously, your setup is key. If you're trying to do this from a quarter mile away or a half mile away, it's not going to work. But if you're in 
that zone, if you're in, you know, 150 yards, 125 yards from that bull, he will feel comfortable leaving his cows for a little bit, especially if he thinks that he has an opportunity to come over and breed that hot cow. And with you doing your bull vocalizations, it's kind of matching him or staying just below. He also has that confidence that, you know what? I can go over and take that hot cow away from that bull and not only breed her, but bring her back and make her part of my crew. So, so Jay, there you go. How do you pull a herd bull away from the cows early in the season? You still do the breeding sequence. You guys have heard me say it, that I do that breeding sequence, whether it's day one of the season or the last day of the season, it does not change. So... The only thing that changes is kind of what I do in each encounter. And you guys that are part of the Patreon page, uh, you guys got a video last week that kind of showed all that with some tutorials and some interactions. So, all right, there we go. We covered the title topic right off the get-go. So, uh, Christian Epson, read it before. I have a rut tag in Arizona and I have no clue how to call. I'm stressing, where should I start? So really, Christian, there's a lot of, avenues you can go. What I would recommend is go to the Elk Calling Academy uh, YouTube page and on there, look for the playlist that is called the Beginner's Guide to Elk Calling. Uh, that will get you going with selecting the right diaphragm read, get you going with some drills. Now, it is kind of a short time between now and the season. You may not master a diaphragm read, so you definitely may want to look into an open read cow call and an external read bugle also. So that way you have something that you can produce elk sounds with and call with while you're learning that diaphragm read. So always have that backup plan, always have that contingency plan. Now, even if you become really effective on a diaphragm read, an open read cow call is still a great tool to carry. Uh, I use them, and in fact, this year, I'm gonna use them a lot more than I have in the years past, just because I kind of went away from it a little bit. Uh, but then going back and watching some videos of bulls responding to those those open read cow calls i'm really shaking my head and wondering why i went away from it in the first place it it just this the the sound the pitch everything they just really really like it so uh so christian there you go uh Beginner's Guide to Elk Calling on YouTube from the Elk Calling Academy will get you kind of going in the right direction Definitely tune into Wapiti Wednesday Q&As. If you want more tutorials, you can actually go to elkcallingacademy.com. There is a monthly subscription on that of $15 a month, but there's all kinds of tutorial videos in there that will teach you all of the vocalizations, how to do them, what they mean, and also give you some hunting strategies. All right, uh, Michael Hamilton, great topic. Sean King, good evening, sir. Great topic, as I only hunt the pre-rut, early rut. There you go, Jay Colley, we got you taken care of. So, Nicholas Curry, can you do that sequence? Yes, I can, if you're willing to become a Patreon member. So, remember, guys, there is stuff that I do have paid members in lessons and on that. And, and, and let me just bring this up, because I, I, I had this question approached to me in an email the other day is we were talking about uh, different scenarios and sequences and this and that, and the individual was asking me, and I, I kind of gave some vague information, and they immediately rifled back. Why, can, why does it have to be a secret? Why can't you just tell me how to go kill an elk? Perfect. I got to talking to the guy. He's an electrician. I asked him to come over to my house and put a new ceiling fan up in my master bedroom. He told me he could give me a quote, and I said, well, no, I just want you to come do it. And he says, well, I went to school and I went studied and I trained. Okay, guys, that's what my 30 years in the mountains has been. That 30 years in the mountain has been my time, my training, my learning. So um, that's why I have no problem, you know, answering some questions. But there definitely is, you know, quite a bit of the information that I do, you know, share. I've, I've earned that knowledge just like somebody with a trade or a skill has earned that skill. So, uh, Michael Meyer, good evening. So Jeremy from Instagram, can you glunk with a reed? I don't carry a bugle tube or tap it on my hand. Yes, you can. And basically it's, you just want to say whip, 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 
So you're barely making contact on the reed and you are um, kind of adding your voice into it to get that bass. Now, obviously with a tube and, and, and Jeremy, if you don't want to carry a tube because it is too big or this or that, go check out the Game Changer. Go to bendable.com, bendable products. It's bendable.com. Check out the Game Changer. It's four inches long. You can bugle with it. It will add a little bit of depth. And if you want something that you can easily carry in your pocket, but then also bugle with, that Game Changer is a great addition to add. So, uh, Sean King, paying $15 a month is a bargain for the knowledge we get on Patreon page. I appreciate that. In fact, hey, guys, tomorrow night is the next Patreon Live Q&A. Uh, I'll put a post in on the page tomorrow morning. So think about your questions and topics that you want to cover now and throw that in. Uh, thank you. I understand. Yeah, Nicholas, I, I just get asked a lot. So uh, bugle me this, the tutorials on e-scouting alone is worth the price of Patreon, especially that um, favorite e-scouting tool. That That is a gold mine. I love that thing. Uh, Michael, you still doing private lessons or everything on Patreon? Yes, I am still doing private lessons. In fact, I uh, uh, just did one tonight right before this and I have another one tomorrow. Slots are kind of starting to fill up. We're kind of getting into that year. So yes, still do the one-on-ones. You do not have to live here. If you are out of the area, we do the one-on-one using Zoom video conference so we can kind of just get face-to-face like this. So uh, to do, to do, to do, Nimrod, how far will they change location from summer range to winter range? We have located them good this summer, but how can they move to rut? Well, so you want to know how far they'll go from their summer range to their breeding area, not necessarily their, their winter range. Um, you know, it, it, it all depends. I mean, some bulls have you know, seeing five, six, seven miles, some half a mile. It it just really depends on topography and this and that. And that's where hunting the same area year after year after year again um, is, it's an advantage because you learn all that information. You learn those breeding zones. You will learn those running zones. But also too, right now when you're summer scouting, in fact, um, I think, let me let me look. I think there was a question. That kind of t- ties in with that a little bit. So yeah, so, okay. So Nimrod, Western Contours guy kind of asked the same thing. Elk movement from summer grounds or scouting to rutting areas. Finding elk at a point A in June, July doesn't mean they'll be there come the autumn equinox general rules so out of state so okay so i'm going to kind of hit both of these at the same time so if you're out scouting and you're finding animals right now you're finding the bulls you know where the bulls are hanging out up high start working the mountain at different elevations looking for those rutting signs and and you know those old rubs those wallows areas that you can tell there's been rut activity there before. Now, that's not to say that that bull that is hanging out higher up on the mountain above that, that that's going to be that bull that comes into the that rutting area, but that's going to tell you where they are going to be when they start rutting. They're going to go, basically what's going to happen is they're up in the higher elevation. They're going to break apart from their bachelor groups, establish their be- their pecking order, and then they're going to work down low on the mountain to where the cows and calves are. They're going to gather the cows and calves, and then they're going to come back up into that breeding area. And each bull will take his cows back to the breeding area. They have spots that they like to feel comfortable. And that's where the satellite bulls that are hanging around these herd bulls that, you know, once that herd bull is harvested or, you know, dies from old age or whatever, some of those satellite bulls sometimes can come in and then take over that breeding area. So it's almost like passing the torch and, and going on in generation. So really the best thing to do is once you find elk at higher elevation, I typically stay out of that higher elevation at that point, And I will start working lower elevations on the mountain, looking for these breeding pockets, looking for this sign that tells me, um, you know, that's where the rut is going to hang out. So 
Uh, let's see. <laughs> um, so is pulling a bull away like when I ask you to go out for a beer? Not quite. And technically, you haven't asked me to go out for a beer in quite a long time. Um, but maybe we should do that. I know last time we were on the phone, we talked about doing that to help out Winky. So we definitely need to do that. So after Jamboree, let's let's plan that. So uh, Jeremy, thanks, Coach. I already have the GC and love it. Yeah. So, you know, Jeremy, with that GC, you can bugle on it. You can cow call on it. You can do your glunks through that. It'll just help add a little bit of depth. So uh, thank you. There is Redding Ground not far. So I wondered if it would be the same bulls as we are finding right now. It, it could be. But it could also be a bull that you don't even know is in the area that comes into that rutting area. That's what's so cool sometimes because you can have trail cameras and you are getting pictures and everything of certain bulls. But then all of a sudden come the rut, you have bulls that you've never even seen on camera and the ones that you had on camera sometimes disappear. So, uh Corey Krishman, this is off topic. Do you have any advice on what the judges are looking for while calling it the World Out Calling Competition? You know, it varies. The judges want to hear different things. Some want to hear, you know, nice, clean notes and transitions and control of the read. Others want to hear variety of, you know, different sounds. Um, the best piece of advice that I could give is give a good representation of multiple different sounds but the thing that you want to do is you always want to start off your cow vocalizations with your best set of sounds and you always want to start off your bull vocalizations with your best bugle because that is what's going to grab their attention and if you hit them with something really clean really nice and you know shows off your ability those judges are going to basically just be okay wow i want to hear more so, um, okay, two, 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 two. Scouting this time of year, you see a herd with cows, calves, and good bulls. Are those bulls satellites? Yeah, I was. I, I have your question up, Jeremy. I just haven't gotten to that one yet. So, uh, are those bulls satellites and the big herd bulls are still hiding? Or could big bulls be with the cows and calves this time of year? Typically, the bulls that you see with the cows and calves this time of year are younger bulls that, yes, will be the satellite bulls. Your older, larger class bulls are away from the cows and calves typically. They are solitude. They're higher up on the mountain, up above the flies, up above the tree line. They are solitude. So these younger bulls that you're seeing that are mixed in with the cows and calves, you know, like I said, these are younger bulls that... You know, because you got to understand when a bull calf is born, he is going to stay and live with the cows and calves until he reaches a certain age, until he reaches that breeding class age, which, you know, could three and a half. Then he ventures and goes up with the bulls into their bachelor groups and the solitude life. And, and so then he doesn't really come back down with um, the cows and calves until it's time to start rounding up cows. So uh, big herd bull, which is the best cow call for beginners? That's kind of a tricky one. If you're talking about a diaphragm read, it, it's going to vary from person to person because you need to find the diaphragm read that fits the roof of your mouth the best. And typically with new callers, there's three that I recommend. Um, the Black Amp from Phelps Game Calls, the Mellow Yellow from Rocky Mountain Hunting uh, Calls, and the Rip It Red from Native by Carlton. This gives you a narrow, medium, and wide frame so that you can find which one really fits in the roof of your mouth the best, gets the best seat, seals the air the best, and you can basically uh, you know, control that read because it fits really, really well. If you're looking for open read cow calls, uh, I really like the uh, the Green Weenie and the Mini Mouth from Native by Carlton. The Mini Mouth is basically a replica of the fighting cow call. Uh, very easy call to use, has some real good nasal qualities to it, and you can get really loud on it to really uh, get after those bulls. So um, let's see. Great classes. I did them from Colorado over video, and it was a game changer. Yeah, Sean McGarry talking about the Zoom video conference. 
Uh, can't hear you as good as previous episodes. Hope it isn't my phone. Yeah, somebody said that last week too. And I checked everything. Everything is, I, I don't know. It's, everything is all there. So uh, Danny Coyman just got here. Mike, are you not coming for calling tomorrow? Danny, no, some things have come up. Uh, I need to take care of uh, some pretty important business. And so, no, I am not going to be making it to Utah for the world championships tomorrow. So best of luck, go up there, represent, just relax and have fun. Do your thing, Danny, you'll be fine. So uh, how many satellites does it take to get good reception? You know, I would say four or five, uh, but it depends on how those satellites are kind of positioned to really bounce off each other to get the reception. Tad, you're awesome, dude, I love you. So, all right. Um, Back to the questions. Do, 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 do. Uh, okay, this one. When quartering elk, is it less of a chance at meat spoilage to take the time to bone out all the quarters? I have had two butchers tell me this and was wondering what everyone's experience is with boning out quarters or leaving bone in. Great question. So I have always left bone in, but the key with bone in, especially on the hind quarters, is there is kind of a kneecap and then you'll see kind of a line of the meat that kind of runs. What you need to do is come right underneath that meat, meat, that kneecap, run your knife straight in, hit that femur bone and then come down. And you'll have this great big hunk of meat that will fall forward. You need to have that and you need to open that up because there's a lot of heat that is trapped right between that big hunk of meat and the bone. If you don't open that up and let that heat escape, it's going to stay in there and that is basically where you get bone sour from. Now, here's the deal with bone in versus bone out. Yes, bone out is going to allow all that heat to escape and it's personal preference whether you wanna do it. But here's the thing to consider too. When you hang that meat, whether it's bone in or bone out, it gets a hard skim on it. The butcher is going to trim off that hard skim. So if you bone out, you have a lot more surface area that is going to hard skim that they are just going to trim off and throw away. That means you're losing a lot more meat that way. Okay. So but bone in, bone out, it's personal preference. Yes, you have additional weight when you're packing with bone in, but you can handle quarters a lot easier and you can hang them a lot easier. As I said, I've always left bone in. I've never had a problem with it. So, but the main thing is opening up on the hind quarter that big hunk of meat. And if it's kind of a cooler morning, you'll see it because as soon as you open that up, you're gonna see this great big plume of, of steam rise out of there so okay uh, okay we talked about that one okay so this one's kind of a long post uh but it's basically you know advice for hunting the frank church wilderness area basically that you know have heard that you know the elk aren't quite as vocal because of the wolves and this and that to an extent, yes, the, the elk are not as vocal out in the open, but you get into thick timbered areas, they are still vocal, but they're just using lower audible sounds. So advice I can give in, to anybody that's going into the Frank Church or going into wolf country, lower the volume on your calls and be aware of where you're calling from. Don't be standing out in the wide open, ringing these ear piercing bugles down the canyon because all you're gonna do is attract all the wolves in the area. Get in the timber, turn your volume down and call more frequently as you're moving. And also don't forget about the lower audible sounds, your glunks, your, your, your grunts, your huffs, raking, you know, those type of things that aren't going to carry as far. So, uh, Big Skinny, have you ever hunted Northeastern Washington? Not Northeastern Washington, um, but did hunt quite a bit of the blues there in Eastern Oregon. So, 
All right, let me jump over to comments and see what we got rolling in. Was in Idaho last week and seen some elk that were dark in color and some that were real light. Are the dark ones staying in dark timber and the light one or not? No, you'll kind of get some variations of, you know, kind of that reddish tint versus the real tan tint. Um, it's it, it just kind of you know, changes. You can also see age class. And one thing with the bulls too, you'll see that their mane and legs will go from a dark brown to almost a black as they get older. So their colors will kind of change with age a little bit. So uh, Mike Ginther, good evening, Michael and the rest of ECA tuning in from Wyoming. Uh, Garrett Weaver, I've heard that large herd bulls will start a little later and let the smaller satellites gather the cows to let them do most of the work than when it's time to kick them out. Is this accurate? Yeah, I've seen it where some of the larger herd bulls will do exactly that. They'll kind of hang back and let some of those younger bulls that are full of energy and excited and this and that, because these larger herd bulls know how much energy they are going to spend with breeding and defending their herd. So they kind of learned a little while ago that maybe it's better to work smarter and not harder. And that's let these smaller herd bulls or these smaller bulls go out and gather all these cows, do this work. And then they come down and all they have to do is kick his butt once. And now all of a sudden they have seven, eight, 10, 12 cows just like that. And they didn't really expend that much energy to gather up all those cows. So. Yes, it can happen like that. So, uh, Big Skinny, other than reading online and boots on the ground, any advice for thermals? Um, wind checker. Always have a wind checker in your pocket. I will go through three or four in a season. It's a very valuable piece to have on you at all time and have it in a pocket or a place that you can grab it easily and quickly uh, because you're constantly going to be checking the thermals. You're always going to be adjusting the path. You're always going to be checking those. Uh, it, it's just a constant thing. So, um, but yeah, by reading online and everything, I mean, you can really understand the thermals, but until you get out there, um, you, that's when you really gather all the information because you you understand and can feel firsthand what it's doing. Like if you're on the south side, you know, the south facing slope of the mountain, you know, mid morning temps are up a little bit, thermals are going up. And as soon as you roll around that mountain onto the north side, onto the cool side of the mountain, man, it's 10 to 15 degrees over there. And all of a sudden thermals are blowing down. Or you could have it where it's a bright sunny day, thermals are blowing up and all of a sudden a cloud co cover comes over, blocks the sun and temps drop and thermals turn and go again. So that's why it's critical to have that wind checker and constantly be checking the thermals, constantly be checking that wind. I can't stress that enough. The wind is your friend. Use it. So, okay, uh, let's jump over to another question. I think we took care of. Yep, we got all of them from there. Okay. Uh, do, 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 do. <laughs> Bryce, how do I know it's the right bull for me? Pretty dang easy. If that bull is coming in and your heart rate elevates and your breathing gets quicker, your pulse starts to race, any of that happens that's the right bull for you. Your body will let you know because your adrenaline is rising, you're getting excited, that bull is right for you. I don't care how big he is, I don't care what he is. If those things happen, your pulse starts to quicken, your heart rate kicks up, your breathing gets quicker, that's the right bull for you, so. Um, big skinny, you bet, bud. So. Got any tips on July scouting where there's food and water everywhere? The snow is still melting up high and the grass will still be very green in 60 days. Yeah, this is one thing that I've talked about before in a wet year versus a dry year. In a wet year, that's, that, that food is, is spread out a lot more. So the elk are spread out a lot more. What you're going to find is you're actually going to find smaller pockets of elk kind of spread out all over because there is that food spread out all over. Beg is, you know, best thing to do for scouting 
Um, I mean, the thing to remember scouting in July is, you know, spend time behind glass if you can. You know, watch where everything is moving, watch where everything is working. Um, but also, too, once you've done that and you kind of figure out where the groups are hanging out, now go into those areas and look for those rutting signs close by those areas. Uh, you know, where, where are those groups going to go to? Um, and then just work all those different areas. In fact, on wet years like this, I will cover a lot more ground. Uh, in fact, that's what we're doing this weekend. Uh, Bryce and I are, are heading up to hang some trail cameras. And, you know, we're just, we're just going to hike and check out other areas because you can find some remote pockets um, that maybe you haven't gone into in years past because it's been dry years that may be little hidden honey holes now because it actually is a wetter year. And maybe there's a wallow in there that years past when it's been dry, it's dried up. But now that it's a little wetter, there's still going to be a wallow in there. And so, you know, a bull's going to be hanging out in that little pocket or go into that area for breeding because uh, that small little creek that normally dries up still has water in it. So you can find little hidden pockets that a lot of people may not know about and may just walk right by because they're going to hit those same normal pockets that everybody knows about. Um, typically wet time of years, this is when I find a lot of those little hidden gems that not a lot of people know about or not, or, or people will just blow right by because they're like, oh, we've never seen elk in here for the past four years. Um, but okay, maybe it's been four straight years of fairly dry. Now it's wet. So this is one of those things that you can find those hidden pockets and always find other little contingency plans um, to help you uh, you know, dive in and, and, and get away from um, people. So um, Mark just jumped in and he just reminded me. So let me see if I can pull this up. I don't know if I can. Um, Mark, go ahead and type in the code that you sent me earlier today. I can't get into my Instagram messages right now. So go ahead and just type that code into the chat that you sent me earlier. And we'll make that announcement here tonight for, for everybody on the uh, hot on the trail sense. So, okay. Um, what are a couple of good options besides thermocell for mosquitoes? Is good old fashioned DEET a bad choice? So, um, I mean, I'm not too worried about using DEET or using, you know, something for mosquito repellent early on. I mean, if you're hunting in an area that has quite a bit of water, is really wet, there are a lot of mosquitoes. I mean, really, we're using the wind and keeping the wind in our favor anyways, because remember, you're never going to be 100% scent free. So if you need to use something to kind of hold those mosquitoes in check, you're going to really need to be even more aware of the wind and the thermals and your setups are going to be even more important. Um, but I would rather do that than constantly be waving mosquitoes or suffering from mosquitoes draining my blood. So uh, pre-rut elk behavior and hunting tactics drew archery first or August 1st archery tag. So Oleg, um, you know, basically pre-rut, especially August 1st, those bulls are still going to be kind of in their bachelor group and solo mentalities. Um, so this is where you're scouting right now from distances with glass to establish their patterns. You know, where are they bedding down? Where are they feeding? Where are they traveling? You're going to want to know those. So then... August 1st, you're going to want to be in those areas where they're traveling and do kind of some light cow calling. Um, they're not too used to, you know, cows being up in that area. You know, they're, they're up there solitude. They're going to kind of be inquisitive. So it can be effective, um, but you're just going to have to pattern them and probably hit water sources. Um, bugling, I wouldn't do a ton because they're really not, I, I mean, they're just starting 
that August 1st to kind of start to get the rise in testosterone and start getting rid of, um, you know, starting to think about getting rid of the velvet and getting hard horned. So uh, screen camel is a good mosquitoes can't even see you. I like that. So, okay, Mark, thank you. So, okay. So I was asked about this today, that hot on the trail scents, the ones that look like deodorant sticks, like I told you guys about, that is the attractant scent that I use. Mark has a few different flavors, I guess you could say in the elk, uh, but he has an extended an offer to all of you guys. If you go to hot on the trail scents, and he does have synthetic and regular. So make sure with your state, there's numerous states that you can only use synthetic. And on Mark's site, the white bottles are the synthetic. That's what you're gonna want. But go over there and in the checkout, type in code ECA710 and you will get 25% off of your order. So right now is a good time to kind of start thinking about that stuff and starting to pick it up so that you have it and you're not having to do a mad rush. And in fact, I need to take that advice. And so website is www.hotsense.com. That's H-O-T-T sense.com. And the code is ECA710 to get 25% off your order. Mark, does a... Mark, does that code work for me too? Because I need to uh, get all my stuff for the year. So uh, let's see. Okay, so we got through all those questions. So now let me jump back over here. Um, <laughs> Tad, you're still cracking me up. I have a meeting at 11 a.m. Hope I get uh, early call time tomorrow morning. Otherwise, um, yeah, I don't know what divisions they're jumping into, Danny. Uh, are you going to be at the TAC in Big Sky? Matt, no, I'm not. Um, also, for those of you guys that live in eastern Idaho and western Wyoming, next weekend, the 19th and the 20th, Wayne Carlton and myself will be at Archery Unlimited in Etna, Wyoming. Uh, Friday the 19th, we're getting going about six o'clock and then Saturday the 20th, we will go at, uh, 10 o'clock. Um, but basically it's just Wayne and I, we're going to stand up there and just kind of talk about strategies and things that we've learned in the past and just kind of have a conversation back and forth. And we're just going to share a bunch of knowledge with you guys. So it is definitely going to be a good seminar. I'm not sure how much more Wayne is going to be able to get out. So take advantage of this opportunity and get over there and take advantage of learning from a living legend. So uh, apparently it takes beer and whiskey and wings and steak, but you will learn about that later. (laughs) Okay. Uh, If you're a beginner caller and want to focus on perfecting just one cow sound, which would you recommend? Who? Good question, Scott. Uh, Probably the lost mew or the excited mew, um, you know, where you're focusing on that higher note. So just because that higher note um, tends to get more of a response, it has some emotion into it. Um, so I, yeah, I would probably say that that lost mew, it's also called a a loud mew or an, so that will work well for, um, you know, a distance to locate or even, you know, working a bull. So, uh, Ethan Porter, best single read bugle tube. I assume you're talking about an external, uh, read bugle um there's a couple i like the power bugle and i also like the um selectable from rocky mountain hunting calls so danny you're killing me so 
Uh, Austin Rollins, what's a good calling strategy for when it's windy and the bulls are a little quieter? It's not necessarily that they're a little quieter. You got to understand that you have to be closer because the combination of the trees, the vegetation and the wind, all of that is knocking that sound down or carrying it a different direction. Um, so good calling strategy, try to get out of the wind if you can. Uh, because once you're out of the wind, your sounds are going to cover, a carry a little bit more, but also you're going to be able to hear things coming to you. So a lot of times when we're up on ridges, if it's really windy, we bail off the ridges. We get down onto the faces and out of the wind so that we can actually um, hear a little better. Uh, Nacho, any plan to do a video on Patreon for how to read a topo map? Yes, actually, I have talked with Derek over at Rugged Maps um, about getting one of his maps in. So that way we can talk about how to read a traditional topo map and use a compass for navigating. So uh, I'm not sure that my question came through and I clicked out of here, but do you normally park and camp near a trailhead or do you pick an area where you'd stop on a roadside and hunt from there? So um, actually we have a camp spot that we drive to and that's our base camp. From there, we'll jump in the truck and go you know, to trailheads or we'll go out night bugling and night bugling you know, it could be we locate elk and then we find a spot on the road to where we can pull off the truck or pull the truck off and have enough room for people to get by. And that's the key thing. Make sure you leave enough room for people to get by easily. Don't make it tough. If you've got to go up the road another eighth of a mile before you can easily pull off, do it. It's the courtesy thing. It's the right thing to do. Uh, but then from that point, I, I mean, we don't necessarily always hit a trailhead. Um, we may just bail off sometimes wherever and access. Um, you know, we may find ways sometimes that if there, there is a trailhead that multiple people are hitting, you know, we may go down the road a little ways and just work right up the face to get into an area up over there. So, um, but no, it's not always a trailhead. So, to uh, do to hey Michael, what's the best way to approach two herd bulls fighting and cows are all around? Have tried sneaking and sounding like another bull, but no luck. Any suggestions? Well, when they're actually locked in and fighting, because of all that noise, there's a lot of times that their eyes are closed to protect their eyes, but also the clanging, the, uh, the clanging of the horns is so loud that you can actually get away with movement and then it turns into a spot and stock. You know, you're going to basically really pay attention to what they're doing still using vegetation and this and that to conceal and move, but then basically you're just going to stock in. There's really not any point at calling at that point, because like I said, they're making so much noise when they truly are fighting. The only thing is, is when you're stocking in with all those cows around, you're really, really, really going to have to be aware. Now, the thing is, is if you're stocking in and a cow does bust you and they break and go, that's where now once the bulls that are fighting that separate, now you start doing a bull rendition of harassing a cow. And that herd bull that has the cows think that since he's preoccupied fighting that another bull has snuck in and tried to sneak, tried to, you know, sneak off one of his cows. So, but as long as they're locked up and fighting, no, it's just a spot and stock scenario. So, okay. Uh, to do, do you find bulls bugle less when low bull to cow ratio seems that way to me? When I get into an area with a lot of bulls to cows, they seem to bugle more. Yes, you will get more bugling in an area that is higher bull to cow ratio because there is more of that competition for the cows. When you get into a low bull to cow ratio, so you may have a lone bull that has eight cows and there's not another bull around for miles. He doesn't have to compete for that cow. So you are going to get less bugling. But that's where the breeding sequence comes in nice because you're coming in sucking right up next to that group. You're set up and now you're acting like another bull that's in that. So you just actually kind of raised that bull to cow ratio a little bit. And now it's you and that bull competing for your hot cow. So, um, 
Over the Hill Hunter, what put Washington State at the bottom of the list for non-resident destinations? Elk numbers, tag price, geography, or a combination of them? I, I think that there's a few combinations that really affect that. First off, you know, you have a lot of outfits that lock up the land that you have to pay basically access fees to get onto. Um, and so really honestly, if somebody is taking a look at Washington versus Colorado, for example, you know, the amount of public land and the access to the public land and also elk numbers, all of that really, really come into play. Um, so I, I don't think it's truly just one thing that really drops it to the list. It's, it's a combination of everything. Um, but also, too, when you hear a lot of topics of people talking about traveling to, um, you know, hunt, a lot of times it's Montana, Colorado, New Mexico, Arizona, um, you know, a lot of discussion lately about Idaho, too. Um, but I think it's more because people associate those other states with travel to destinations um, more so than kind of Washington and Oregon. So um, but there are some really good opportunities on the eastern side of Washington, especially when you get over there in the Blue Mountain area, um, that they can actually get some good access to public land. So. Uh, any particular brand of wind checker? Um, I use the dead down wind. Uh, I just like it. It seems to work well for me. It doesn't clump up too bad. And it's an orange bottle. So if I do happen to drop it, it's easy to see and easy to find. So, uh, Tony, do you think bulls will still be running in mid-October? I have a rifle hunt starting mid-October to mid-November. Wondering if I should bring my tube and diaphragm along. Yeah, there still will be some running activity in mid-October. How much activity? That's really hard to say because that's going to vary from year to year. Last year, it was hot and heavy in October on into November. Years before that, it was just kind of towards the tail end. It was kind of that post-rut time uh, where just a few cows were coming into estrus and uh, it wasn't having a lot of activity. So definitely take your call, take your diaphragm and match your surroundings. So if you're hearing a lot of bulls bugle, bugle. If you're not hearing much calling, don't call too much. So, okay. Uh, to do, to do, to do. So we got a hunt in New Mexico, two tags. Should we split into two different groups or should we work as a team pros and cons? Uh, well, it, Robbie, it depends on how many people are in your, in, in your group. Um, you know, two tags, are you talking just the two of you or is there support people coming? I mean, obviously, if you have support people coming, uh, a two-on-one scenario, meaning caller, shooter versus the elk, has a higher percentage rate than a one-on-one. One-on-one -on -one. One -on -one can still be highly successful, uh, but you just got to make sure all the I's are dotted and T's are crossed. So if it is the two of you, you know, you can most certainly that's something that you would have to work out between the two of you. And you could basically work it to where both of you pack the bows and then you trade off. And so you establish what your trade off time is. Um, you know, if one of you the one thing about, you know, OK, you're going to be the shooter today and you're going to be the shooter tomorrow. The only thing with that is you have a lot of variables that can change. I mean, weather, barometric pressure, uh other hunters. So what we do a lot of times is we we will change after each encounter. So, you know, we encounter a bull, we set up, we're working the bull. For some reason, no shot happened. Okay, then we switch and, you know, switch it up that way. So we change on each encounter. The nice thing is, too, is you tend to get a lot more opportunities and you switch a lot more doing it that way. So uh, speaking of elk travel ranges, did you see the news today about a collared cow elk that traveled 250 miles over an entire mountain range to give birth? I, I saw a little bit on it. I haven't read the whole article yet. So, but, uh, yeah, I'll definitely go check that out. So, 
Uh, I drew an archery rut trophy tag. Plan on holding out and chasing only big boys. Arizona 360 plus is very doable with continued hard, smart work. Aaron, that's that's great. Um, you know, a lot of times when you do draw those trophy areas, definitely, yeah, you you put an age class and a size, and, and that's that's basically, you know, your goal. That's what you're going for. But also, too, the thing to remember is if you're getting towards the tail end of that hunt and if it takes you 20 years to draw that tag and you may not have another 20 years, I would much rather shoot a smaller bull than take that tag off the mountain with me. So um, especially a really hard to draw area that you probably will never draw again in your lifetime. I'm going to fill that tag. I'm not going to fill it with a smaller bull early on. I'm going to wait. You know, I, I'm going to chase the big boys first, but I'm definitely going to fill that tag. Uh, Mike, hike midday or sit in the heavy dark and wait? So, well, the midday. So, elk do get pretty active during the midday. And what we do is we're typically within you know, two, 250 yards, 300 yards of the, the bedding area. So that way, during that midday, when those elk get up and start moving, um, you know, we're right there so that we can get right on them um, and interact. So midday for us more is, is kind of staging outside those bedding areas you know, doing things, some soft cow calling so that when they do get up, they crack off and let us know that they're on their feet. And then we can move in, set up and engage and, and work that bull. Uh, but no, we're not constantly hiking around, especially if you're in, in a new area and hiking around during a midday, you're standing a very good chance of bumping into a bedding area and blowing those elk out of that bedding area. And then you may have ruined that spot for the rest of your hunt. So any tips for calling in trophy class velvet mule deer bucks in August? Scott, there's not a lot. Rattling's not really effective in August. Um, you know, I, I'm not really sure if uh, doe and fawn bleats would actually work very well. So I think you're going to be stuck with the old fashioned sit on your butt behind glass and do 90% of your hunt behind the glass. Spot get him to bed down, then plan your approach and take your approach route and uh, take your time. So uh, to do, to do, to do, uh, we are going to be using hammocks for possible spike camps. If we're on elk in mid-September, should a guy have a bug net uh, or are they not too bad that time of year? I don't have a bug net on my hammock. Um, you know, mid-September, you're probably going to be okay. That probably going to get some cooler nights that the bugs really aren't going to be that bad. Um, maybe during the midday when the temperature is a little bit higher, but you are not really going to, um, you know, really be in that hammock on your spike camp. So um, now you shouldn't, you shouldn't need uh, a big bug net but if you have a hammock that has a bug net sewn in it's not that much extra weight so uh mr lawson i live in cincinnati and i'm going to put in for idaho elk draw 2020 uh do you know any good guides with good reputations i know several of them it just depends on what area you, you know you're you're drawing so um the one thing you can do is um the area that you're drawing, you can actually go to the Outfitters Guides Association board uh, for that state and do a review on outfitters in the area. And, you know, you can also there is outfitter and guide reporting websites that will have um, basically reviews and you can read them. Good reviews, bad reviews, mediocre reviews, and, and you can kind of do a lot of due diligence and get kind of gather your own information. Um, and then if you want to, to take it a step further, uh, go ahead and call Fish and Game and talk to a conservation officer and find out if they have any information on that guide because they may have information that doesn't necessarily make it into uh, the reviews or maybe the person that wrote the review just had a bad day. So, 
Uh, can you remind me of the hammock you use? It is uh, Winter Outfitters on Amazon. So, uh, what is your number one e-scouting tool for finding feeding and bedding areas and perspective areas for the month of September using backdated satellite data? So, oh, Dennis, you're killing me. So, um, there, so I'm not going to give you my number one. So those of you guys that are you, those of you that are Patreon members, you guys you guys know what my number one is. Uh, but Cal Cal Topo is a good resource, um, and and honestly, once you have kind of an area selected on that, um, what's what's kind of cool is. There are a couple of, and, and you can just type in, um, you know, mapping. You can do Google searches. Um, God, my mind's drawing a blank on the other one right now, but it actually does have different maps that you can choose. Um, God dang it, you're killing me. Hold on. My mind is killing me right now sorry guys got a lot of things on the mind but um it has a lot of different map layers that you can pull up and some of those map layers are older maps that will have some of the road systems because the thing is is every time the forest service updates a map there's road systems that they close that then fall off those maps. And so you want access to older maps sometimes. So yeah, it is the Cal Topo. Okay. So, um, but Cal Topo is one that I use quite a bit. Acme Mapper is, is another good source to use. Uh, but the Cal Topo up in the right-hand side, you can switch and, and it'll have the years. It'll say forest service map, 2015 or forest service map or whatever so you can switch to some of those olders but the reason those are beneficial and this is one reason why i really like rugged maps is because rugged maps has basically those outdated road systems still on their maps and the reason those are beneficial because if you're looking at a newer map and a lot of these a lot of these e-scouting, you know, on X maps, base maps, you'll see them all the time. We have the most up-to-date maps. We've updated our map. We have the most up-to-date map. The only problem is those old road systems fall off. Those old road systems are beneficial because they're still there. And they are great sources for moving around your hunting area quickly and quietly, but they are also great tools and sources for when you're packing an animal out that you can use those old road systems to pack an animal out. You're not having to side hill, go over a bunch of deadfall, blowdowns, that kind of stuff. So, um, so I'm just going to say Cal Topo, Dennis, in response to your question there. So, uh, do you just hunt Idaho or do you hunt uh, out of state hunts? Um, Kevin, I, I've hunted Montana, I've hunted Colorado, Idaho, Oregon, have hunted, you know, several different states. So I have not had a chance to make it down to New Mexico or Arizona yet. So uh, to, to, to do paperland is easily accessible in Washington, but the distance makes it hard for scouting. As Michael said, there's some good access points. Okay, so Robbie, if there's four of you, so two of you have tags, two of you don't, break up into pairs of two and and do the caller shooter scenario that's going to raise your uh chances for success so god guys the countdown is starting it's we're already at a minute and a half until instagram shuts off so let's just see if we've got anything else here uh to do to do to do to do to do to do okay only about a month away hello 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 Okay, Mark just said that uh, some orders are rolling in. So thank you guys. Um, so those of you that are picking up some of that hot sense, I am doing a uh, tutorial video 
um, on that. I will do two versions of it. One is going to be for the Patreon members. Um, if you guys do want to do that, like I said, it's elkcallingacademy.com. It's $15 a month. I really dive in deeper on a lot of the information and really I open up my playbook and show you exactly what I do out there and how I use these. Uh, but I will do a quick little tutorial video to show you guys how I um, do that. So. Do they sell the entire line of Carlton calls at Cabela's or Sportsman's? Sportsman's has some of them. Uh, Cabela's, uh, Mark actually just closed a deal with Bass Pro, so they will be on there um, soon. So, all right, guys, we got 20 seconds. Thank you to each and every one of you for tuning in tonight. I appreciate it greatly. As always, keep calling, keep practicing. Most importantly, they'll have fun. We will see you guys next week on the next episode of Wapiti Wednesday Q&A brought to you by Elk Calling Academy. Have a great week, everybody. Follow and subscribe to Elk Calling Academy on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and Patreon for tips, tactics, gear reviews, and live Q&A, helping you to success faster. Thank you for listening. Follow and tag us on Instagram at Western Contours. Jump on iTunes, Google Play, and Podbean. Subscribe, leave us a comment, and don't forget to hit that five-star rating. We appreciate the support, and until next time, lay them down.